on page 71 in the Green Bibles. Page 71, Exodus 16, verses 1 to 30. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we, have, we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Each one had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. 
So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thanks, I'm Harrod. Um, this morning I'm going to be talking to you about the God who provides. Um, and I'm going to start off by telling you a story about God's provision. Um, about a year ago, my cousin got engaged to a girl called Christina. Now, many of you girls out there will know the importance of the wedding dress. Finding the right wedding dress is almost as important as finding the right man to marry. <laughs> Just as there is the one to marry, so there is the one when it comes to the wedding dress. And girls will trawl wedding dress shops waiting for that moment when they find the one. So Christina, she was engaged and the time came to go and find a wedding dress. But she hardly had any money to put towards the dress. At the time, she was a student in New York. And so she was told to go to this one particular dress shop where they were a little bit cheaper. So she went into the shop and she found this dress and she thought, that's a beautiful dress. And she tried it on and it was the one. It fit her perfectly and she loved it. But the problem was, it was far too expensive, and it was way outside her budget. And so she spent about an hour in that shop, deliberating. You know those moments where you just found the perfect pair of boots, but they're about 200 pounds more than you'd anticipated to spend. But somehow all of these justifications are going around your head telling you that this time it would be fine. But after an hour, she said to the lady who'd been helping her, I, I can't afford this, I need to go. And the lady said, well, I'll drop it um, another $100 if that helps. And Christina said, I still, I still can't afford it at that amount, so I'm going to go. And so she went. And the next day, she said, OK, God, I'm just going to pray. And if at the end of the day, I feel like you're saying that you will find a way of providing money for this dress, then I'll rethink. The end of the day came, and nothing had happened. So heavy-hearted, Christina went to bed, thinking, well, I'll just have to look and find a cheaper dress. The next day, however, the lady who owned the shop called Christina up and said, I haven't been able to sleep for two nights because I've been thinking about you and that dress. So I'm going to drop the price a significant amount, and I really hope you'll be able to afford it. So she dropped the price, and Christina couldn't quite still afford it. But at that moment, my other cousin rang Christina up and said, we've been praying, 
and we feel like God wants us to give you this amount towards the wedding dress. Little did they know the amount that had just been suggested to Christina, and the two amounts put together came to Christina's budget. And so she went off and bought her dress, and she looked stunning in it and loved wearing it. Wouldn't we all love to know a God who provides for us like that? And today I'm going to tell you how we can believe that we do actually have a God who provides for us like that. I'm going to look at three points. The first, that we need to abandon the belief that God is unreliable. If you look at the Israelites in this passage, they seemed set on believing that God is unreliable. Every time, not just in this chapter, but throughout Exodus, the Israelites come across a new need or a new problem. They go straight to Moses and Aaron and complain and grumble. Verses 2 and 3 say, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The problem is, is that actually the Israelites have just seen a flurry of God's provision in the most miraculous of ways. When they were in Egypt, they weren't actually having a very good time. In fact, they were slaves, and they grumbled about being slaves. And God heard their cry and has just saved them from that slavery. Then, when the final plague came to kill all of the Egyptian firstborn sons, God provided a way to make sure that the firstborn sons of the Israelites weren't killed. And thirdly, the Egyptians have just seen God part the Red Sea so that they can escape from the Egyptians. That's not a usual occurrence for the sea just to part and allow you to pass through and then close just as the Egyptians are trying to get through. There is absolutely no logic to the Israelites' belief that God is unreliable. This doubt in God as a provider should not have been their default position. In fact, of all people, they should have been the ones saying, God will provide. Now, it's easy from where we're standing to think the Israelites were so stupid. When Angharad was reading that passage, I just thought, gosh, they're infuriating. It's so obvious that God is going to provide for them. But actually, if we look at how we live our own lives, we're not too dissimilar from the Israelites. When I was growing up, my mother had this postcard up in our kitchen. And it said, why pray when you can worry and fret? Why pray when you can worry and fret? Now, this, of course, was put up in jest. But actually, it's very accurate to how we live life. Our default position is not to pray fully expectant that God will provide. But our default position seems to be to worry, suggesting that we think that God will not provide. When the credit crunch hit, I wonder how many of you 
reacted in worry. Worrying about your jobs. Worrying about how you're going to pay the mortgage. Worrying about pensions. Our instinctive reaction seems to be to worry. To assume that God this time might not come through. So how do we change this default reaction? How do we switch from expecting God not to provide to knowing that God is a reliable provider? For one suggestion I have is that the more that we read God's word and the promises that are in there about him being our provider, the more this reading will begin to shape our understanding and knowledge of God as our provider. In Luke 12, Jesus is talking to the disciples and telling them not to worry. I'm just going to read a bit from it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body and what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storing or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus knows our needs, and he knows how to provide them. And Jesus says to the disciples, do not worry. This isn't just a helpful suggestion, a tip for life that Jesus is giving the disciples. It's a command. Do not worry. And the more that we read scriptures like this, the more we see and believe that God is our provider. Ed and I actually had um, the reference to that passage that I just read. Um, engraved on our wedding bands on the inside because we knew that we wanted to live a life that was set on living a life for God where we trusted him to provide. We didn't want to live a life that was wrought with worry or where we were constantly building up barricades around ourselves just in case something went wrong. And we know that we need to be constantly reading passages like this to keep us on that track, because it's so easy to fall back to that default position of thinking that God won't provide. So that's the first point, to abandon the belief that God is unreliable. The second point is to remember to ask, and to ask with expectation. The main error that the Israelites make in this passage is that they fail to go to God with their needs. As I said, they go straight to Moses and complain. You'd think that the Israelites might have at least considered asking God, even if they didn't expect him to give them what they needed. There's no harm in asking the question, and yet they don't. What's more, is that when Aaron tells the Israelites, God is going to provide for you, 
and you will have bread in the morning. When the Israelites then wake up that morning and see the bread on the floor, their reaction is to say, what is it? Well, they've just been told exactly what it's going to be. And yet their expectation is still so low that they don't recognize God's provision when it comes their way. In fact, the word manna actually means, what is it? They fail to recognize God's provision, even when it's right in front of them. And sometimes this is exactly what we do. A couple of weeks ago, I was going off to France for a training week away. Now, I'd been told that where I was going was in the middle of nowhere, and that it was some monastery that sounded quite cold. And I was particularly grumpy about going on this week away, because I didn't really want to leave Ed. It was the first week that we were going to have a part since being married. And I was even more grumpy that it was in France, because it meant that phone conversations were going to be expensive. So we devised a plan that we were going to try and use our laptops and speak on something called Skype, where you can phone each other for free, as long as you have internet connection. So suddenly, internet connection in this monastery became crucial to my survival during this week. So I got there, and we went straight into the first lecture. And I sat down, and I didn't have my laptop on me, but I saw quite a few other people immediately trying to get internet connection, and none of them could. And I got so grumpy. I was like, this week just goes from bad to worse. Didn't want to come here. The only thing I wanted was internet connection, and now I don't even have that. And now, every time I phone Ed, there's going to be these awful conversations where we're really tense because we know we're spending a lot of money, and we really shouldn't be on the phone for so long. And we're so worried about this that the amount of time we do have on the phone is completely wasted anyway. So I grumpily went up to my bedroom after the first lecture, and I turned on my laptop. And of course, I had full internet connection. I sort of thought, hmm. Didn't, I didn't even really ask God for this. I just was grumpy. I'm sure if I'd asked him, then I would have been a bit more peaceful. And anyway, God was gracious, gave me the internet connection. And I shouldn't really have been surprised that it was there, because why wouldn't God want to give me internet connection? But what's more is that I then found out that I, my room was one of the only rooms to have internet connection. We find it so difficult to ask. If you imagine a newborn baby or a child, they spend their whole time asking. In fact, the first two years of a child's life is basically spent learning how to make its parents aware of its needs. And yet, as we get older, we seem to think that self-sufficiency is the goal. And our pride and reservations gets in the way of asking either people or God for help. But God longs for us to ask him. He loves it when we ask him. Those of you who are parents, if your son or daughter comes up to you and asks for something, you love that they've come to ask you. You would hate it if they never asked you for anything. If they bottled it all up, because they felt you might be annoyed with them, even if sometimes you do get a bit annoyed with them. 
Luke 11, verses 9 to 13, says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. And a bit further on, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give them a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Ask, and it will be given to you. Jesus wants to give us good things, and he wants us to ask him. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, actually, I do ask God, and I have asked God, and he doesn't always give me what I ask for. But God always gives us an answer. Sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes he says, wait. And sometimes he says, no. And the hardest of all is to hear no because instead we just think we've heard a silence and that he hasn't heard us. Sometimes we think we're asking for a fish, as, as it's referred to in this passage, but actually we've asked for a snake, and God knows this, so he won't give it to us, because he only wants to give us good things. But the key is to remember to ask, and then expect an answer. Expect God to provide what you need. So remember to ask with expectation. My third point is that we need to realize that God's provision takes the future into account. I think one of the greatest obstacles to us seeing God as our provider is our fear of the future. We seem to spend our lives building for the future. We take out life insurance. We save as much money as we can. We're always saving for our pensions. And this isn't necessarily bad, except for the fact that the majority of us do this out of fear, not because it's what God has asked us to do. And in this passage, God is very specific with the Israelites about how he is going to provide for them and how he wants them to use the provision. God starts off by saying, I will provide for you all that you need on each day. So each day, eat all of the food that I give you because there'll be fresh food for tomorrow. But the Israelites are too fearful to eat all that they have today. Because there's that fear of, what if God doesn't quite come through tomorrow, like he said he would? So some of the Israelites decide to save some of the food for tomorrow. But of course, it goes off, and they can't eat it the next day, because that's not what God asked them to do. And of course, the next day, there is fresh food there for them. But then, God knows that on the Sabbath, God doesn't want them to have to go and work and pick up the food from the ground. So in this instance, he is aware that he needs to provide double the amount of food the day before the Sabbath, so that they have food for the Sabbath. And so he says to them, you will get twice the amount of food on the day before the Sabbath, and I want you to save half of that. God knows what we need today, and he knows what we need tomorrow. And he knows how to make sure we have both. 
Before Ed and I got married, we'd both been in a position where we'd been able to save a bit of money each month. But then when we got married, things were a little different. There was a bit of confusion about whether or not my grant from the Church of England was going to change, whether it was going to go down once I got married. And I was under the impression that it was going to stay the same. So we'd worked out that our income was going to be at ex exactly the level that we thought we needed it to be. But September came, and with it, a bit of a shock, because the grant came in way under what we had anticipated. So we thought, right, well, we haven't got enough to live this month, this year, just within our income. So we thought, well, we'll have to pray. We need to pray about how God is wanting to provide for us this year, because we know that he wants me to do this training, and therefore he must have something in mind. And so we prayed. And we both found it very hard to consider using our savings for this year, because we'd saved up our savings for the future, for the rainy day. We weren't really willing to hear that today might be the rainy day. And it was a real challenge to begin to look at our savings as a part of God's provision, and to be willing to hear God say, I want you to use your savings as a part of my provision for today. But as we got our heads round that, we realized that that must mean that God knows we don't need these particular savings tomorrow. And he must therefore have something else in mind, some other way in mind of providing for us tomorrow. God longs to provide for us, and he longs for us to ask him how he's wanting to provide for us. When we work with God, we lose that fear of the future. It stops binding us because we know he's got it in his hands. And then we can live freely today, willing to do what God asks us to do, and not clouded or held back by worry, stress, or fear. So that's the third point, to realize that God's provision takes the future into, the account, into account. So I'm just going to finish with a prayer. Lord, thank you that you are the provider. Lord, that all we have is from you. That you love us as your children and that you love to give us good things. And I pray that you might help each one of us to have that childlike faith that trusts, asks, and expects. And that you would free us, Lord, from any of that binding worry that prevents us from living freely. Amen.
just a moment or two for us to digest the food of God's Word as H.E. has unpacked that for us. And as we prepare to receive this food, a symbol of God's ongoing provision for us through Christ.